Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. Hi, John, compulsive overeater here. Uh, this program literally saved my life. I, I did have a picture I wanted to show you, but unfortunately, my, my internet is acting up. Thank God for the phone, right? Uh, I weigh 220 pounds. This was on my driver's license in 2002. What was the result of weighing 220 pounds? When I would trip, my weight would carry me forward. And I had once broke an arm because of that, because so much weight was being uh, pressed upon my arm. Uh, once upon a time, I was standing in a fast food joint. It was night, and I was looking at the window. I wasn't looking. I was looking at the food. I'd ordered the largest entree possible. I ordered the largest side possible. I ordered the largest drink possible, and a dessert. I remember looking up at my reflection in the window and saying, who the hell is that? Without missing a beat, I went right back to my food. I was in denial, and that's not a river in Egypt. Denial carried me me through a lot of my life. Uh, Being in denial about having feelings sometimes and being in denial of reality And that hurt not only myself, but other people as well, too. I just briefly want to touch on my history, though, from being a kid. I grew up in a pretty violent house. My mom used to beat my, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, my dad used to beat my mom. So when we're at the dinner table, my head was down right next to my plate, and I would shovel food into my mouth hoping that they wouldn't blow up again and also wanting to get the heck away from that table as soon as possible. Also, they had a variety store. For all younger folks, what's a variety store? It is a store, it's like a Woolworths, only ours was called Ben Franklin. And it's a store you can walk into and get anything you want. You can buy a pair of pants, you can get some nails, uh, you, you can buy tools, you can buy toys. And, of course, candy. Being the owner's son, I got to have all the candy that I wanted. I could go up to the front to this beautiful candy case and load up a large bag and and go and eat all the candy. And guess what that did? It made me high. So from a young age, I was high. So I had trouble in school. Of course, the situation at home exacerbated that. And uh, also... uh, uh, the sugar, the sugar is my heroin. It'll take me out as sure as any major drug, abusive drug will take anybody else out. Okay, I grew up and I went to grade school, high school, and some college, etc. And during those days, too, I was doing the sugar and eating. Now, now, once I cruised into, you know, adolescent years and so on, there is really no excuse for me to eat anymore. No reasonable excuse. But by then, compulsive overeating had its talons attached to me. And I couldn't get away. I could not get away. And then that continued through 
a good part of my life. I'm 75. I've been in a program uh, 12 years and been absent eight years. So as you can see, a good part of my life was spent, again, in denial because of the food and the uh, uh, sugar. And that's no way to live. To me, life is meant to be an okay experience. Yeah, things are going to happen that are rotten, that hurt, that are tragic, everything else. That's part of living life. Part of life, exactly, is feeling good and having some joy and following things through. So my addiction carried on. How did I find program? A couple of things happened. For two years after every meeting, my therapist would say in a very quiet voice, Oh, hey, John. Took two years for that to sink in. One Friday evening, I was sitting at my table. Had a huge sweet in front of me and half a gallon of milk. Eyes going at that sweet like nobody's business. And then from somewhere, I have no idea where, this little voice, I think, said there's something wrong here, John. It was like this yellow caution flag went up in my head. And I put the fork down. I called my dearest friend who lives up in the San Fernando Valley. Been in program many years. Of course, I never saw his recovery because I was blind, right, by the sugar. And I called him and I said, gee, I've had something happen to me here. I'm sure, I don't know what it is, but it had to do with food. I've seen that you, you know, you're in pretty good shape. You were once like me. He said, come on up. I went up to the San Fernando Valley. And uh, it was a Saturday, right? And uh, we go through his work. And he says, John, why don't you stay overnight? We'll go to uh, first uh, early meeting in the morning. It was at this beautiful little church with misty morning, a gorgeous morning. We went in, sat down. And the woman who led told my story about sugar. And I was floored that that happened. Coincidence? I don't think so. I really believe that was my higher power at work. And so uh, from there, I entered program. I found my very first meeting. The second meeting I walked into was over at the Gay and Lesbian Center, which is not far from me in Hollywood. And I walk in, and and this woman has a Minnesota accent. And I said, you're from Minnesota? She said, yeah, so am I. So right away, I was put at ease. There is a word disease. For me, when I'm in the food, I'm at dis-ease. I'm not e- at ease with myself or with other people or with my circumstances. So how the heck can I find a solution to circumstances that are not good if I'm in a fog all the time? I'm at dis-ease with my body, with my soul, and with my heart, with all three of those things and their interplay among each other. And and that is is no way to live either. Okay, so I found program. Took me a while to get my my first sponsor. I was I was still in denial, so it took me quite a while to find my first sponsor. I saw this guy at meetings. I really liked the way he worked when he talked about his program. He had recovery, and I said, "Gee, I'd like him for my sponsor." Well, one evening at a meeting where he was, you know, that wonderful question was, 
Will all available sponsors please raise their hands? He raised his hand. I walked right over to him and I said, I'm desperate. Will you be my sponsor? And he said, yes. And my life really changed at that minute. He, he was a great sponsor. How did he work? He uh, he worked with the big book and the OA 12 and 12. We, we hit steps. Uh, we hit the steps with the ground running. And that's the way I do it too with my sponsees. So we, we went through the steps. I had what's called a honeymoon abstinence. It was about 15 months. Okay. And uh, I was sitting at a coffee shop having a coffee. And here is this little tiny sweet. And I had a moment of, oh, what the heck, I'll eat it. So that blew that little abstinence out. And then I had another one after that. And my sponsor had to go away to school. And he, terrific guy. And uh, he said, John, you get a sponsor as soon as you can. Another example of my higher power at work. There's a man I greatly admire who's done a huge amount of service and program. And I thought about him. Well, I'm riding over to uh, the Serenity Sunday meeting with my best friend in life and in program. And I said, gee, you know, I'm looking at my sponsor. I'm looking for a sponsor. He said, how about this person? And mentioned this person's name. I, I almost fell out of the car. And there was a message. Yes, you want this person for your meeting, for your sponsor. The following Saturday at Kitchen Sink, I said to him, can you be my sponsor? And these were his words. We'll find room. Wow. I got to pause on that one, folks. I got to pause. What a perfect thing to say to me. To help me stay in program, to help me stay focused and everything else. So I, I carried on some uh, abstinence. And then then after that, abstinence was, abstinence was wonky. Have a week, have a month, have two months, have a day. That happened for a year and a half. Here's another miracle of program. I said Serenity Sunday. And another guy was there who I greatly admire for his recovery. And he said, John, how are you? I said, I'd lost my abstinence. He said, we have to get a good abstinence going for you. And that changed, completely changed me. And from that day to this for eight, eight years, and like my current sponsor says, God willing and the creek don't rise, I remain abstinent. Okay, what's life like today? I live a life I really like. I live a life where I'm present for my friends. I'm present for my family. I'm present for my neighbors. I live in a little uh, place, uh, I live in a building, and we all know each other. We greet each other, and it, it, it's really a reassuring and wonderful. I'm able to do abstinent shopping. I have, four, I have four what we call red light foods. Those are foods, if I take one bite of those, I'm, I'm off to the races. I'm going to overeat. I'm probably going to include some sugar in there. And once again, my ship is going to lose its headway. My prayer for today is that that does not happen. I do a lot to support my program. And this all has to do with a higher power, my higher power, my sponsor, and the fellowship. What I do in the morning, first of all, I go through, through the first three steps. And like my sponsor said, John, pause after each step and think about it. So I do that. 
And then I uh, I sing the first lie of an old Christian hymn that I, that I just love. And then after that, I uh, page 86 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, paragraph three, upon awakening. What do I do upon awakening? Oh, forgive me, I just lost. What do I do upon awakening? I uh, Oh, right, right, right. I look at uh, what's, first of all, I ask God to uh, please divorce me from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Those three things make it really hard for me to be be, uh, present with other people. I really want to give people I'm talking to the gift of active listening. What's that? I don't try to predict what I'm going to say after they're done. I can really hear what they're saying. Dishonesty, that's been a big one in my life. So keep me from dishonest motives. Keep me clean, please, higher power. And the other thing is self-seeking. Me, me, me. I want what I want, and I want it now. That's the way it used to be. Thankfully, the dial on that one has been turned. The dial has been turned way down on the volume at all three. And then, you know... I say to God, gee, to God, gee, you gave me a brain. Please help me use it the best way possible. And after that, I do two things. I'm, I'm part indigenous people. I, I go through uh, an indigenous chant and dance. And, and then I, I go through my own chant I made up years ago. At the zoo at the uh, beach that combines a Buddhist and and also uh, a Yiddish word, and that sets me up for my day. So I go I'll go my, my day and be a nicer guy, right? I like saying hello to people on the street. I love dogs. I compliment people on their dogs, and a lot of people just have a radiant smile when I say that. So maybe whatever they were thinking, maybe somebody has COVID in their family, or maybe their car is a flat tire, maybe it takes them out of that for, for a second even. So I, I really want to be in this world to be of love and service. Be of love and service. Otherwise, what's it all about? We have so much hate and tragedy in the world. I have, I have no control over that. Such is life, right? Such is life. These things are going to happen, be they personal tragedies or tragedies on a world scale or whatever it might be. These things are going to happen. What's my choice here? The choice is how do I react to it? Do I run around like Chicken Little and say the sky is falling, the sky is falling? No, no. I'm going to shop. I go to the grocery store. I do my abstinence shopping. I don't need the other stuff in there I'm addicted to. I don't need that. I'm not going to hurry walking home. I'm 75. I don't want to trip off the curb when I see the walk sign. I don't want that to happen either. John, you have five minutes. Thank you so much, Carol. Or Pam, I'm sorry, Pam. And uh, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to hurt myself. When I come home, 
I can have a sane home life. You know, my books are somewhat disorganized at the moment. I have to go through them and reorganize them. I live in a tiny place. It's what the English would call a bed sitting room. Literally, my bed, my chair, and my computer, my TV are in the same room. And then there's the kitchen and the bathroom. I live what I used to live in Milwaukee is what you call a railroad flat. A train could steam right through it. Well, now I'm looking at my refrigerator and my pantry. And you know what? Neither one calls to me. So there is another example of having some serenity. They're there. They exist as objects. And they help me because that's where I find my abstinent food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. My computer, my internet went out this morning. And I don't have much technological expertise. The little modem was beeping and blinking red and everything else. And I, I messed with it. I fooled with it. Nothing changed. Okay, what can I do? And then the thought came into my mind, John, you can call in. Guess what? So on my phone, I go to the meeting list, find the numbers, plug the numbers in, and lo and behold, it worked. That probably would not have happened before. I would have panicked and had no idea how to access any sort of help or anything like that. And one of my fellows, Vincent, really helped me get through that too. So you see, this is something else we do in program. We're there for each other. Whatever the situation may be, whether if somebody dies that we love, or in a case like this, we get help from another fellow who has the knowledge to help us. This is invaluable in living life. When I step out my door, I don't know what's going to happen. I pray to God, God, get me through this day, stay sane and sober. Get me through this day, sane and sober. Staying in today is so important. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I know what happened yesterday, but I can't go back there and relive tomorrow, whether it was a good moment or a bad moment, right? What I can do is be here now. And like my sponsor always says, when I start doing that trip, either to tomorrow or back to yesterday, he says, for today, John, for today, John. Right now, the moment I have is the wonderful opportunity to be speaking to all of you terrific people. What will happen when I walk outside my door and I walk down the street? I don't know what will happen. I know I have to take precautions. I have to look at the sidewalk and make sure there are no cracks in the sidewalk to trip over. I have to look at somebody walking for me and it's a narrow sidewalk. I make way for the other person to go by. When I go, I'm one of these people, I, I, I wear a mask when I, when I go outside. So before I leave the house, I make sure I have my mask on for other people and also for my own good too as well. Hey, what am I going to do today? Am I going to go to the pharmacy? Am I going to go to the grocery store? Am I going to, am I going to go for a walk? Am I going to do this? Am I going to do that? So a loose outline of the day because God has his own agenda in mind for me. It may have absolutely nothing to do with what I plan for the day. Here's where flexibility comes in. I got to be flexible. 
part of my, in fact, not part of my higher power's nature. I look, can look out my window and there's a beautiful fan poem out there. The poem is not fighting its higher power's will. When the breeze blows, the palm frond goes the way of the breeze. It doesn't try to go the other way. Good lesson for me. I'm also part of God's world. That's it, John. When I try to go against what I'm supposed to do, then I'm in trouble. So the more I can do that, and the more the better off I am. And just to wrap up, I said at the beginning of this program saved my life. I could have been at 300 pounds now with all the attendant joint problems, disease problems, and everything else. I'm not. I'm in great shape. I walk 45 minutes, five, uh, five to seven days a week. I take meds as prescribed. I watch my food. I, I meditate. In the evening, I have another practice there too as well. I make sure I do that before I go to bed. And these are the things that keep me being an abstaining compulsive overeater. Okay, that's it, folks. I appreciate your listening, and I wish you all a wonderful day. And please keep coming back. And if you're new, please check us out. Thank you. Bye for now. Okay. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I read that. Now, uh, this is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. You asked a question last week. Please wait until the first uh, three questions have been asked before raising your hand. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. Uh, John Joy has raised her hand. Okay, thank you. Joy, come on in, please. All right. Thank you so much. Hi. Amazing share. Thank you so, so, so very much. I'm pretty new to program just so you're in. Um, and I'm trying to, if I'm saying this correctly, abstain from sugar. That's my vice. So I wanted to know, based on your experience, how long did it take you to just cut it? Did you just go cold turkey or what did you do? I'd love to know. Thank you so much. Sure. It's a great question, Joyce. Thanks a lot. In beginning, uh, in the beginning, uh, when I found my first sponsor, I, there, right there, I stopped, you know, for the 18 months. Uh, I, I can't help but think maybe that was, uh, something coming from my higher power. Uh, so that was the first time. And then uh, uh, the next one I had after that, uh, maybe I can better answer your question this way. I never went through a period of withdrawing from sugar. Uh, it was always immediate. I think maybe what was going on there was a real sense of self-care. I'd seen what sugar can do to people. And I realized I didn't want that to happen to me. So every time I fell off the horse, I climbed right back on the horse and kept going. And it it was a combination of things, higher power, this fellowship, which is incredible, 
all the tools we have, we have the meetings, we have the steps, uh, we have the phone, uh, we have a being service together. All those things have helped me stay sober. Service especially has been one of the main ways that I, I've been sober in this program is through getting out there and doing service, helping other people and so on. And the reason for that is it takes my mind off me. I'm my favorite subject. I can sit all day and think about me. I, I just love it. When I do that, though, I ain't doing much for other people, and therefore I, I'm not doing much for myself. So I, I each time I, I quit cold turkey. And uh, what did what did I do? I used our tools to phone when a craving would hurt. I would call somebody is what I would do. So get phone numbers. We're here to help you, Joyce. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, Ellie is next, John. Hey, Ellie. Hi, John. Thanks so much for your share. Um, I hear how positive you are in general. Uh, what do you do when you have resentments, anger, negative thoughts? Would you talk about how you handle those rather than using food? Sure. Um, a number of years ago, I was leaving a meeting. And I was crossing the street, and this guy was taking a left and almost hit me. Well, I yelled uh, a stream of blue epithets at him. And I crossed the street, and I said, gee, that's not so good. So I called my sponsor. And he offered this. That when this happens, the first thought is yours. When you yell a name at somebody, that thought is yours. After that, you really got to think otherwise. I need to do what? One, I need to pray for the person. Two, forgive myself. Three, turn it over to my higher power. I can brood about that all day. Gee, I hope that guy, uh, I insulted that guy, hope he's okay. I have no power over that. Only my higher power can, can lift that from me. When it comes to other resentments, let's say I... Let me, let me qualify with this. I, I live alone, so there are not a lot of people for me to interact with other than my neighbors and people at the store and, and uh, people on the phone. So there are some resentments I might have to do a mini fourth step on. Who was it? What did they do? How did this affect me? My pocketbook and, and the and the other things. I might have to do a little fourth step on them. Um I realize resentments are going to come. And again, the dial has been turned down on them. I used to have resentments left and right. If you walked in front of me before I walked in front of you, I was all mad and upset and that ruined my afternoon. It doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't happen. Thanks. Uh, Madison is next, John, followed by Julian. Hello, Madison. Hello, I'm Madison, anorexic and exercise bulimic, and I wanted to ask a question kind of about like grocery shopping for yourself and like coming up with like meals and like cooking for yourself. I'm kind of struggling around like there's just like the spear around the grocery store. Like I just get like 
really anxious about it. Even if I make this whole list, I'm like in the grocery store and like I see things that I want versus what's on my list and, or there's something in the grocery store, like it's not in the grocery store and it's on my list and it just throws off my entire plan. And so I kind of wanted to know if you had experience, strength and help around just like the idea of like getting food for yourself and not like steering off course. Sure. Sure. Good question. Thanks, Madison. Yeah, when what I do when I get to the grocery store mentally, I, I already have what I want. For instance, yesterday I went to a smaller market here. I had, what, 10 items to pick up. I had those items picked up within five minutes. I was at the cashier and out the door. I don't, I don't like lingering at the grocery store. If I'm not careful, that, that can be my, my Armageddon. You know, I, I purposely avoid the sweets aisle. I, I purposely avoid the the uh, crunchy, salty foods aisle also. I, I don't go anywhere near them. I go, I pick up my protein, my veggies, my dairy, and my fruit. And that's it. I'm out of the store. I'm mentally prepared when I go in the store saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it fast. Uh, and I, I'll... I'm sorry, I, I just had a little brain thing there. Uh, and, and that really helps me a lot to to make it kind of an accelerated uh, process. My mind is not a great friend of mine. And it'll, it'll think and think and think, oh, gee, let's go here, let's go there. It doesn't work very well. Bang, I'm in, boom, I'm out. And that's what really helps for me is to make it a brief experience. Medicine. Thank you. Next, you have Julian, and then Frank, and then Sarah, and then Carol. Let's go to Julian. Hi, Julian. Hi, John. Uh, Thanks for your share. So my question is, uh, quote, what do you do with doubt after faith? Unquote. Doubt after faith. Wow, it's been a while since I had that one, so i got to give it some thought. Um. My higher power has really taken good care of me. I've been through a lot in my life. You know, I've been homeless. I have ended up in jail once. I've stolen things, everything else. And uh, during those times, I really doubted, uh, is there a higher power? Uh, What what, what can I, you know, help me with this? And, of course, my mind was close to that because I, I was screwed up. Because of sugar and my behavioral patterns and everything else. Now, uh, gee, I'm I, I'm pretty much in faith all the time. Uh, one advantage there is, uh, like I said, my higher power is uh, nature is my higher power, right? And I look out the window and I say, "Beautiful tree." That's a prayer. Uh, years ago, my dear friend who brought me in the program, we were driving around, like I said, he said, I think he has 34 years abstinence or something like that. He's a very spiritual man. He said, John, that's a prayer. So doubt after faith has not happened for a long, long time. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty much in touch with my goals, making sure they're reasonable, something I can do. Uh, as I walk about, my mind is usually pretty quiet, so I'm open to my higher power suggestions also. Uh, and also, this is something that was acquired five over minutes. time. You have five minutes. Thanks. 
Thanks, Pam. Julia is something that was acquired over time. It didn't happen overnight. It took time because I would want something that wouldn't happen. I'd say, what the hell's wrong with you, God? I'm leading this good life. I'm abstinent. Gee, I'm doing all the right things. How come I didn't get what I wanted? But now, another thing that really helps me is acceptance. Acceptance is the answer to all my problems. Everything that's happening is supposed to be happening now. And that really helps with doubt also. If things are happening the way they are, they probably not happening the way John wants them to. Thanks. Yeah, Frank is next, John. Good morning, Frank. Oh, good morning, John. So great to hear your story in a different way. I've, I've been, had the great blessing of getting to know John these last four to six months. And uh, the question I have for you, John, is um, to talk a little bit about sponsorship. I, I know you sponsor. And I, and if you could share with us what some of the joys of it are and also maybe um, a few things you might have learned from your sponsees along the way. Sure. Thanks. Wonderful question, Frank. Um, I'm sorry, it just dropped out of my head. Ask me the question again, please. Wow. Okay, yes. The uh, the joys of uh, sponsorship and maybe some of the things that you've learned from your sponsees. Ah, thank you, sir. Wow. Um, one of the things, I, I asked my my, uh, my current sponsor asked me, John, would you like to be a sponsor? You know, I said, I'll think about it. A couple of weeks came back. I said, yes. And we talked about it. And he said, one of the greatest secrets in OA is that when you uh, sponsor, you you, uh, you get back more than you give. And and this is absolutely true. What have I learned from my sponsors? Wow, there's a host of things. There's <laughs> something that's practical. Uh, I, 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 I was representative on our intergroup board for a while and, uh, uh we had a, a region two meeting up in Oakland and I could take somebody with me if I wanted to. Well, one of my sponsors was really working a, a kickbutt program. So I said, do you want to come with me? He said, sure. I'd been in an airport for a while, and we had to self-check-in and everything else. I had no idea what I was doing, and he walked me right through it. That's a practical example. A spiritual example, I had one sponsor who's many, many years of uh, recovery. And we talk a brief time each morning. And he will share things from me that, that, that are spiritual. He'll talk to me about a problem he's having with his day be it his dog or, you know, something happened to his car, and he'll breeze right through it and he'll talk about it. He has a solution already. I'm not a real solution-oriented person. I, I I can diddle around and be in the problem. But something I learned from him and I'm learning from him is uh, the solution is there. If I take a couple of minutes and sit quietly, it'll come to me. So that's something that, that I have learned from him. More than anything else from all my sponsees, they're all, they're all persistent. They all work their programs. And that's a real example for me to, to be persistent about things. For instance, I don't get what I want. Well, you know, be persistent and find something else. Thanks, Frank. 
we have one minute left, and uh, Sarah is next, but we only have one minute left. Do you have a quick question, Sarah? Yes. Hi, John. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, what, how do you think about, can you describe what forgiveness is for you? And then I know we only got a minute. And what do you do with a sponsee that won't take direction? Sure. First one, forgiving. My dad, uh, for years, I had a huge resentment against him uh, because he used to do it to my mom. And I realized I can't hold this around the rest of my life. So I, I did a, I, I did a uh, fourth step on him. I went to visit him and until he died, we had a great relationship. So, so that, that worked for that, for forgiveness. Now I got to realize other people are suffering human beings. And uh, at some point I got to forgive quickly as my prayer. So I don't haul it around. Uh, when a sponsor is not responsive, I stick with him. I'm with them. I say, this is what I've asked you to do. Maybe we, we can, uh, we can work out a time scale. You can do it on or we can bookend. We'll start now. When you finished it, bookend it with me. If you're going to do something tomorrow. You want to do it tomorrow. Let me know. And, uh, when you're going to do it and then text me when you finish bookend. I found bookending to be very, very successful in, in helping uh, a recalcitrant sponsor. Thanks for all your great questions, folks. 